We're, hello, we're, it's, the, it's the day after uh, we... Have we started? Interview. We have started. Oh, okay. Did it not come up in the little box for you? Oh yeah, I wasn't looking there, I was looking out the window. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm fully uh, present, I'm not wearing my pyjamas in any way. I'm completely, fully engaged. <laughs> good morning. I'm ready for action. Ready. I am more bunged up. I thought I sounded up bunged up yesterday, but I'm more bunged up today with hay fever and <laughs> it's absolutely kicking my butt this year. Um, yeah. But we are, well, we've got a, a recording, haven't we? Because we interviewed yesterday uh, John Cree. John Cree. Who I don't think I can give a long enough introduction to. I said in the podcast that John was peppered throughout every bit of forest school literature I could find. Um, John was one of the people who helped start the Forest School Association. John was recently made uh, the first forest school ambassador, which means that he has been voted as one of the most, you know, um, I can't remember the words, but it's like uh, outstanding contribution. It's like an OBE for forest school. And John is the first and so far only person to have that. so we got to sit down with John for a bit over an hour and have a chat uh, because John has a specialism in kind of challenging behaviour and grief and trauma. And we thought with everything that's going on and people going back to schools, that's probably a pertinent thing for us all to know about. Yeah, it's a very Corona related uh, podcast, isn't it? Well, most a lot of it is. But um, he's also really interesting and has had lots of interesting experiences like going to the Kalahari Desert and... Um, being with the community there which was fascinating um and yeah, yeah it was really and, good and i think even after this has all gone this will be a useful resource for anybody who has children who might be experiencing grief or trauma it's not necessarily just corona related you know the same things can apply to any kind of grief and trauma um John did say that he wished he'd put a couple of exercises in. Um, so there's links in the podcast description. If you want to find out more, um, head to any of those links uh, and get in touch with John. And he's got lots of training courses on. Um, and he's just a, an excellent person to kind of learn more from. Yes. Okay. Enjoy. Enjoy. You're listening to the Forest School Podcast with Lewis Ames and Gemma Southerden. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Keen, Keen, normally people sit there very quietly and they're like, oh. Oh, do they? Oh, I thought, thought, well, let's start. It's it's Lewis. I've got to be up up and about. Jude said, I like Lewis. He's really enthusiastic. This is all that video (laughs) stuff you saw you a few times. (laughs) Antonio keeps when I uh, showed my wife this. So John and I've been doing some videos for the FSA, and we um, originally we were trying to condense them down to like a minute. And um, I there was somebody else that showed me a video, and he was talking really slowly. And so I sped it up by like I made it like a hundred and three percent just to try and <laughs> speed him up. It wasn't John; it was somebody else. And um, just and to get I, talk at the same rate that you talk. Well, and then I showed Antonia uh, my video, and she went. I don't think it works when you speed them up. I, <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, no, that's just, mine's, oh, okay. And I tried to make it the right speed and I would a bit like the... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we've got John Cree. John Cree is here. 
John, for people who don't know <laughs> your background, do you want to give us a couple of minutes of sort of how you came to Forest School and, and where you are now? Yeah, okay. Um, I, uh, I blame it all on my mum, because uh, mum got us into this from when we were crawling, really, uh, in the Chilton Hills, Bluebell Woods, and me and my brother would play a lot, went out fishing, did all that sort of stuff, but mum was the one that had the poetry and that sort of nature connection stuff so it, it all stemmed from there um so i've been lucky really having had that um and then um i <laughs> during school years sort of his job teacher got me into this and they got me into friends of the earth and all of that and uh, we were lived in nottingham at the time and i wanted to clear up the mining fields and i was good at math so i wanted to be a mining engineer but then my girlfriend at the time and this was probably one of the big game changers for me um, she said, "John, oh, that is a stupid. You're into flowers. You don't want to go into mining engineering and all that." I said, "Well, yeah, but I'm good at maths and tips and and the damage the mining industry. And the only way to change it is from the inside. So I'm going to go and do mining engineering." And just Cindy stuck to her gun and said, "No, I don't think you should. I think you need to do something with flowers." <laughs> so I ended up doing an ecology degree and then a master's in conservation. Worked for Nature Conservancy Council and worked for Wildlife Trust um, and started getting into working with kids. Um, we just took kids out on nature reserves. We're doing nature reserve management, really. Um, I thought, oh, actually, I enjoy this. This was always like being around kids, but then doing it more formally, just taking them out on a couple of nature reserves. And we started working a bit in school grounds. Um, so I went and did, um, uh, after, yes, that's after I've done my Masters in Conservation and then went to school and hated it, absolutely hated it. I did teach training for a year and didn't do my teaching, you had to do teaching practice in those ways you still do and I just didn't do it. I just couldn't stand the whole... <laughs> one um, of us, one of us. <laughs> yeah. And the people so, in the uh, just did a nice little, you know, box type hand movement. Is that what that was, that was John? It's sort of like a, you know, squashing things in boxes. Washing things in boxes, that was it, yeah, and I felt like I was in a box, and they, I, mean, you know, I would try and get out whenever I can, could, but it was just, yeah, oh, it wasn't me. Um, the best thing about it, I remember the one lesson I really enjoyed was a chemistry lesson, this was in secondary school, um, and we blew up the classroom more or less. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, uh, I was in a fairly good secondary school. This was not in my teaching practice, but during the teach training, this was in Sheffield, and um, they did have a little rural studies area, but they never really used it. It was the end of rural studies. Uh, that's probably before your time. Rural studies was big in the 1970s and 80s. <laughs> uh, well, it was no, it died off in the, in the 80s, but in the 1970s and even at our school, we had a little rural studies area with goats and all the rest of it. Um, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, there was some good stuff around in the 1960s and 70s, and they got rid of it, like woodwork. God, that was one of my favourite. And then it's all gone stupid, woodwork. Now it's not. It's resistant materials. What's that about? It's just woodwork's gone. Um, I still anyway. did woodwork. I did woodwork when I was at school in the 90s. Right, yeah, in the 90s. But then come, yeah, the last, was it, 10, 15 years, it's all changed. It's not, it's, 
it's more or less gone. <laughs> People don't need to make stuff anymore, John. We just need to think about things and do computers. And, yeah, but then they don't realise the brain needs to make stuff and it needs the hands to make the brain work. That's Anyway, I that, wouldn't go on my hobby horse now. Well, we will. That's all to do with trauma, that. We'll come to that in a minute. Anyway, um, are you recording this? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yes. This is me going on. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought, I'm going on too long now, aren't I? Um, I comes for a school. I ended up in a long, long. I worked in centres and I worked in youth work. I actually, that's what I sort of trained and was passionate about youth work. Worked in centres and then moved to Bishop's Wood after working in the Peak National Park um, for about 20 years, coordinating the education of the National Park for quite a big chunk of time. Well, it was 15 years, big chunk of time, but also. Moved into the training team, did a lot of work with trainers, and then um, saw Bishop's Wood being developed. And I was involved with Earth Ed at the time, so this is back in the uh, early 80s. Um, and the Bishop's Wood Centre, for people that don't know, it was sort of run by a local by Worcestershire, but it was one of the first green purpose built centres in the country and got the uh, Reba Green Building Award. and uh, went down and visited it because the new <laughs> said give us a job basically and he um he did this was in uh year 2000 and it just so happened i got there when worcestershire decided to take on forest school they got gordon woodall from bridgewater to come up and do some in, in service training at the center um on the behest of our early years advisor, she was amazing. Just Sheila Sage, she was really into the whole gender thing, particularly looking at boys and how stereotypical things get at an early age. And she saw Forest School, and a group of people went down there, brought it back up. And I guess Worcestershire was one of the first, Worcestershire and Norfolk were the two first real local authorities that really embraced it. It's weird because Somerset, that's where it all started, which is mm. very strange. Yeah. Um, and so the uh, forest school uh, coordinator was um, appointed more or less the same time I started there running training and doing uh, work with day visits and going out into schools and all the rest of it um, so I just watched forest school grow and then sort of trained in it and the rest is history really so I was just lucky I've always I've never had a life plan really <laughs> just dropped into things um, and during the forest school stuff I met Hoppy Wimbush which is coming off the topic of this and Hoppy um, she was in at the art start of forest school really in Wales a lot of stuff came out of Wales it, when it came out of Bridgewater then Wales really ran with it um, and Hoppy was uh, she ran workshops, did a lot on emotional literacy and um, trauma, but particularly emotional literacy. And I remember Hoppy coming along to one of the national meetings when we were just thinking about setting up a national network and it started under the IOL and we launched a special interest group in the Institute for Outdoor Learning in Worcestershire. Um, quite a few hundred people came along and Hoppy was there running a workshop in emotional intelligence virtual literacy and was sort of just twinked clicked with her um 
So I got Hoppy to come along and run an emotional literacy workshop at Bishop's Wood with us. And I worked alongside it because I was a bit into all that stuff. Um, and she said, John, you need to go on the Masters with Margot Sunderland. I don't know whether you come across Margot Sunderland. No. no. So Margot's the, she used to run the Institute for Arts and Education and Therapy with the University of London. There's a separate thing in Islington. And she then eventually, she's now, uh, she wrote What Every Parent Needs to Know. It should be on the reading list for everybody. That's one of the essential books. Um, she basically worked alongside Yak Panksepp, who's the guy who uh, discovered these seven systems we've got in our limbic, limbic system, the emotional, of our emotional system, basically. And she's now, she's now runs the Institute for Childhood and Mental Health. Um, so she's a big, bit of a big tease. And I went along and I just loved her books and stuff, which Hoppy put me on. And I went along to enroll for the emotional literacy course. It was a whole weekend sort of interviewing and workshops before you could get in on this. And I loved the place. It had a really good feel. There was only two and uh, it didn't happen that year. And after that, the Institute sort of started not running stuff. And then she moved to the, be the director of the Institute for Childhood Mental Health. Um, but ever since then really got a passion for it um, and done lots of sort of inset courses and through the youth work stuff and the work with that we did at Bishop's Wood um, on the alternative curriculum and with pupil referral units uh, basically running forest school for teenagers um, I just really delved into this in a bit more detail in terms of um, the challenges they face and some of the trauma that they've gone through and the reasons they are where they are. Um, yeah. So that's sort of brought me and just see forest schools a really important approach, if you like, to working with particularly those that need that nurturing, that are challenged by all sorts of things. And I always hate the thing about challenging behaviour. It's like they're challenging. No, they're not. We challenge ourselves. And it's just our system and the backgrounds. And many of them have had adverse childhood experience, which is now a common term in all of this, that's caused the trauma. That's, when you look at the young minds, I don't know whether people know about young minds, but they're the, sort of, they're the main progressive on the edge young um, uh, mental health institution run by young people really pushed by young people um, and uh, you look at all statistics on there and a lot of it is down to adverse childhood experiences earlier on which is why we've got the one of the highest teenage suicide rates in the in the world um, and I just see that connection with nature and the holding that nature does so important because it's uh it can be a challenging environment and we can do all that woodsy stuff, but there's a lot of bodily stuff involved, which really helps trauma. Yeah. So that's a long story of my story. Well, no, I'm just, <laughs> it's, um... Applications for Forest School training are now open at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. It struck me that when I was looking up, you know, I did a quick kind of like, oh, what have people already asked John and, and what haven't they asked John so that we're not 
covering old ground. And I have to say, I struggled to find a book that didn't have you either thanked in it or that you had written some sort of uh, like a blurb or a forward for or contributed in some way. If you look through forest school literature, your name is just peppered across all of it. So I would really? say- Really? I've never really, never said that to me before. It is Goodness. absolutely everywhere. Um, but I would say my first experience of seeing your name pop up was, um, I think it was what you, I think it was courses you were doing with Lily about challenging behavior. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we wanted to sort of talk about is we're aware that when, you know, so we got the lovely announcement yesterday that uh, schools are definitely going to be open tomorrow um, yeah. for better or worse, but that they will be going back. And it kind of struck us that lots of children will be going back with a degree of, I mean, grief and trauma sounds like a, a big, heavy word. Yeah. Um, because normally we associate those words with like death and, you know, family bereavement and, and quite, you know, um, monumental experiences. But they can be words that are used to describe not having been able to go and play for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it kind of seemed pertinent that if we if schools are reopening and people are running sessions again, that we should be prepared to, to we should sort of expect that children are coming back with a, a higher level of stress and grief and trauma than they did before. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, so when we talk, we talk about planning our sessions, we quite often talk about kind of co-creation and that you're as a leader, your mental state is, is as important in the mix as the children's. Mm. And so I wondered what your thoughts were on the fact that not only are, all these children going to be coming back into education with grief and trauma. But we as leaders, are we're not arriving where we were in April when we closed. Do you know what I mean? We've got stuff going on as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, that can be our strength, um, which is where our vulnerability comes in. Um, I've sort of, over the last few years, having seen that Brené Brown TED Talk where, yeah, quite a few years ago now, um, the most hit TED talk of its time. I don't know whether it still is. I mean, it's a few years since I've seen it, but that her TED talk on vulnerability really struck a chord with me in terms of this grief and all the rest of it. As you say, it's not, it doesn't have to be a big thing. And in these times of lockdown, um, it's, and it, it is often related to, to a loss of something. And for many kids, it's the loss of their contact with their peers and their kids and, be, and their own friends to be able to go out and play. And suddenly you're by yourself and it's very different playing with them on the screen because a lot of them have been playing with each other on the screen obviously but it's it's just that physical thing that's so so important we are physical beings um and there's been loads of research done on the, the impacts of the screen on all of this and if you get engrossed in the screen i have one lad a few years ago i was working with he was 11 he was on the screen literally 24 7 his habit was fed by his um caregiver and she fed him she brought his meals to his bedroom and he'd carry on gaming he just gamed and no school could deal with him and it was just um i thought it was just such a crying shame it was brought to us 
and he was hunched like this and me and uh, another leader um with me steve who worked with these sort of more specialist group walked around the site with him and um he very rarely lifted his shoulder but at the end of it his mum was with us and turned to him and said um <clears throat> so do you want to come and he just looked at her and gently nodded he said right he's coming I just thought, oh, well, that wasn't the usually enthusiastic response that we normally get. And it took us seven months before he'd lift his shoulders, start, and he could hardly move. Um, and it's, that's the extreme end of the screen thing. But actually, just he really did, underneath it all, need contact. Mm. He did contact with other people. And we had another lad who was working with him from the local because he was going to be moved into the local um, special school which used to be a pupil referral unit they took this other lad who was in fights about uh, 20 times a day he was being physically restrained every day all the rest of it we just thought it would be good for him to come along and actually see how he interacted with him and actually it worked it's really good and it was partly because we found his passion was animals and suddenly he would really, and he was deadly, he was into reptiles and newts in a big way. So if he ever started kicking off, we, and then we had a little newt refuge nearby, which he did see that he saw newts, but he also saw a grass snake that was a mother who was under these, you know, the corrugated iron things. Um, and it was just interesting just watching these two interact. And you just, you just knew that the, the fighting and everything was about needing that contact from that one end and the other lad, who was just on the screen 24-7, desperately needed it. He didn't know, because he was addicted to the screen completely. But you could just see him suddenly coming out of it and suddenly realising he loved running around. He could hardly run, hardly walk. But the other guy, he loved, he, he really liked the sort of running games and stuff. Um, I often wonder what happened to them both, because I was with them for two years, three days a week. This was, you know, highly intensive stuff. But it was well worth it. You just see. Support the podcast today by becoming a Patreon member at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. So do you think that's something that we need to have in our heads when when we do start, whenever people start their groups up again, that that we should, I don't want to use the phrase have lowered the bar because that sounds like you're, but, but almost to anticipate that social skills will have withered. Um, yeah, I think definitely there'll be something. Although, you know, kids are very resilient and it depends what's happened at home, doesn't it? And it depends how they are with the parents and all the rest of it. But I would just give them space when they come and just let them rediscover what it's like to be with friends. It's going to be hard in these social distancing times because they are going to want to <laughs> get together and probably do some rough and tumble and all of that. And, and I know in our risk assessment that we're putting out from the FSA is you're going to have to try and avoid physical, anything, any physical contact games, but expect them wanting that physical contact. Um, it's going to be tricky because it does, we need that physical contact. If you look at all the somatic therapy that goes on now, the first thing they say is we definitely, we've gone the wrong way. We've, We've seen physical contact as an abusive thing, and it can be abusive in extreme circumstances, but the appropriate physical contact is absolutely essential um, to keep that human connection and that soothing going. And just that, even just the, the gentle t- 
tap on the shoulder or that. I mean, I've been doing this with friends recently. You've all been doing the, the elbow. The elbow. Um, and it's just, it does make a difference than just saying hello. You feel so awkward when you're standing two metres apart and saying hello, and we've just gone over and done that. And there's something happens between us. Um, there could be. I, I would be a, uh, I wouldn't say advocate, but I'm definitely interested in the ideas of, uh, of grounding, you know, hmm. and all the electrons passing and going through and all this. Yeah hippie nonsense that I can't quite believe I can't quite find well it it's not hippie nonsense anymore you know Cambridge University Oxford University Stephen Booner who works with lots of universities in North America that all the science even uh, quantum physicists are showing this electromagnetic field that this resonance that happens between living things um, is real oh, yeah and people see it as hippy-dippy because it was all, you know, it's part of the indigenous and all of that. But actually, the physics is now bearing it out. Um, and we have to shout about that to sort of say, look, actually, science is showing us now that there are these electromagnetic resonating fields between us, and particularly between our hearts and plants. I just love that science that's going on at the moment. I have seen um, some forest school leaders uh, suggest or some uh, maybe early years outdoor uh, folk kind of talking about reopening and saying, oh, what we're doing is we're uh, we're kind of uh, designating each child a tree or each child is choosing a tree and that's going to be their tree to hug to get that kind of physical contact from when they aren't able to do that from us as adults and from children. Yeah. Like, well, you know, if you're upset, go to your tree and give it a hug. I thought that was really interesting. I think they were even talking about like them you know putting a face on it somehow or like a scarf around it <laughs> yeah whatever helps I, I have yet i've yet to see i mean and i i feel like it's a forest school trope to see the mud face on on a tree it is a trope isn't it? but i have yet to see one that in any way makes me feel comforted they're all really scary and i just oh, think, oh. yeah but having said that there is something about them there's a special needs um school a really well good one in Worcestershire um and I remember there was a one of their teachers we were training in forest school and we would go out and assess them and um there's one lad who'd been he was wheelchair bound completely um so this is physical needs as well as emotional needs at school and it's it's brilliant school I, I will name it it's Chasgrove school they're sort of they're well known and they've got a little forest school area and this lad who'd been a, in a wheelchair and this particular leader she raised the bar for everybody in that school and while i was there i was sit, sat next to him just chatting to him um, and the rest some of them were playing with clay and i was making something out of clay i think i was making a little god probably making one of those evil goblins or <laughs> um and suddenly he looked over to me and he he started pushing he didn't have much language on the chair and i, I just said you want to get out and, one, and and then um uh oh my brain stopped working i've got the name came over she lifted him out of the chair put him on the floor on the floor he scurried over to the tree he and he took my goblin and he just splatted it onto the tree <laughs> so he'd not they'd not done any of this stuff before he just splatted it onto the tree and then started sticking stuff to it and i looked up and um I wish I could remember her name. That's awful. I know her really well. She was in tears. I said, what's up? And she said, John, he's never 
we've lifted him out of his wheelchair before and he's just sat on the floor but he's never moved like that before and wanted to do that what what the, she just more or less said what that have you done it's the goblin yeah but it wasn't the goblin it was just that that wanting to touch the tree but the clay maybe just molding the clay in his hand because that's you know we're made of clay we do come from we've got soil throughout us when we eat uh, any plants we've got soil in it and there's all that um celtic stuff that talks about clay um are you all right john you <laughs> <the top> <laughs> yeah, well you go back to the great myths prometheus yes yeah. all of that yeah humans were molded out of clay which is a metaphor obviously <laughs> but also there's a bit of reality in that because we we take in soil all the time every time we eat don't we it's like the, all that anyway um gone off on one again he just well, it was just that it was just that it was something about the resistance of the tree because we know that's what we actually know that a lot of uh, particularly i mean i've walked, worked with really traumatized kids and it is that um proprioceptive in technical terms if you're a special needs person and into uh, sensory processing difficulties but all of us need that resistance and we know now, particularly through all the science that's been done with somatic healing, this the, the use of the body is this resistance is really important. And as I've read more and been on various little trainings about it, that was what was going on for that little lad. He knew the tree. There's something about the tree. You could see it's resistant, but the clay at the same time. And just doing that, I didn't need to do anything. It was just that invite, really, almost, um, to do that. Um, so there is there is science around that and i think it's just that combination of materials and that and okay some of the yes yeah you can blame chris holland for all of that stuff <laughs> it's just <laughs> in his i love my horror school years ago and all these little free spirits but there is something behind it can you give any examples of um, any other examples of when um you've used that kind of like resistance stuff with other children and groups things oh, yeah lots um i just uh i i mean it can be anything it can be tug, tug of war so sometimes i remember having one group um uh just really uh, we had two lads in it and these this these were 13 year olds they were from uh, uh, special school but it was it was emotional behavior constantly they were on the street they were real edgy and i'll never forget one lad who was you could just see oh my god he's got a real edge to him and and then you just think now this is my edge responding to his edge and that's you have to sort of just step back and say, stop labeling john <laughs> it's just so halfway through the session, just before lunch, we decided to play tug of war because there was some real rough stuff, some aggressive language, some rough stuff between den, a den war that had gone a little bit over the top. Um, which is all about that's that there is about that resistance thing, but more extreme because it's wrapped up with uh, their thinking as well. So we played the tug of war, and suddenly he'd switched, and and wanted to play more more of those types of games in the afternoon but his whole demeanor had switched there was something about that sort of where you're really putting a lot of effort in mm. to that resistance that sort of soothes 
Definitely. It, it helps you feel um, grounded, doesn't it? Just in terms of like, what is your body capable of? And for children, yeah. their bodies are capable of a different thing almost on a daily basis. And so it makes yeah. sense that you would want to, you know, drive your engine as fast as you can to see, you know, that's why children run and chase. It's all about what can, what can my body do? And I think the difficulty yeah. is that in um, sort of before all of the COVID stuff happened, I would have put those activities in a group that, that I would have said, forest school teachers love and head teachers hate to see because mm -hmm. they're big and they're physical and they look aggressive, but, but they're not, they're just big. They're big in terms of physicality. And they're um, regulating as well. I mean, head teachers, some head teachers, or not just head teachers, anybody needs, they need more training in this to know that actually these help regulate behaviour. Yeah, absolutely yeah i think the um the often the opinion is that it encourages more yeah. more aggressive behavior you're enabling it you're sanctioning it and uh you're making it look like okay this is a place where this is allowed and therefore fights are going to break out the whole time when you're absolutely right it is about you know if you have the practice in that play like, like animals you know when you see like little lion cubs and stuff tumbling around you know they're learning where their strength is and when to stop it's as much when to stop how it feels yeah and if, um, sensory needs as well because that's another yeah. thing, isn't it? like, and I, th I think every teacher well certainly every special needs teacher that needs to pass this on to everyone else needs to read waking the tiger because that's what waking the tiger is all about which is peter levine's sort of he's the guru in somatic stuff and that's what that is about because he does he looks a lot at animals and what animals do and what we because we're animals too and it is about waking the tiger within us and the tiger regulates big time um and i think just yes there needs to be a lot more awareness about the role of all this and then we'd have a lot more forest school happening they'd suddenly realize do you think we're approaching though a point where we might be hitting um almost from two fronts um this idea that what we need the most right now is this in terms of helping us you know sometimes people say to help with depression and anxiety exercise is the thing to to do and i feel mm -hmm. like in a similar way this sort of childhood grief and trauma this these kind of big exercises will be helpful but we're also in a point where possibly the worst thing you could do right now in terms of scaremongering and the zeitgeist is to say i'm going to encourage the children to do more touching and to share ropes yeah and to push and so the thing that is going to get us out of this hole is the thing that we're all the most scared of and that we can't be seen to be doing yes absolutely and that that is that is that can be traumatic for some and i know trauma is a big word isn't it but it can be disturbing um because we've got on the one hand we're really scared about doing this because that's the message and that's is the virus this sort of that's there and on the other hand we sort of know subconsciously we need it mm. um and it was interesting i went out um to uh, we've got a favorite little swimming spot here i live in worcestershire and we're right on the river team which is a beautiful river that i paddle on a lot and we go swimming in it a lot and there's a really lovely swimming spot so we're out a couple of because it's been hot this week out a couple of days ago me and jude we went off the walk and there's quite a few people there and young people there 
and it was just really interesting. There was a family, and I think it was probably two families before Boris made his announcement. Was it Boris or whatever? Somebody just said this morning, oh, they announced yesterday we can get together with families, which I'd not realised. But I think a lot of them were doing it before then. Um, mm. And they were certainly down at the swimming spot. I just watched the kids. There was this group of kids. There was... Uh, two younger ones and three older ones and I, I think they were probably from the same family but two separate families it looked like two sisters got together and there was one just sat with the mum and we just overheard the conversation and it was exactly what you were saying there was some they would most of them were playing in the river no no social distancing <laughs> completely splashing each other and all the rest of it and this other one was on the bank and saying and uh, it, it, his mum was saying, don't you want to go and play with the others in the river? He said, no, no, I'm going to catch the disease. Mm, yeah. So there was, it was just a really good illustration of just what you're saying. We've got on the one hand, you know, we've got to protect ourselves. But on the other hand, we have got this natural urge. We want to make contact. Yeah. How do we regulate that? How do we... Um, we were um, doing our risk assessment um, the other day and uh, we were talking about that, weren't we, Lewis, about um, so the government advice at the moment um, does say, there's a sentence that says we can't, we, you know, we, we understand and acknowledge that uh, primary school age children and younger cannot be expected to follow social distancing. It then does a couple of sentences later, but all children and staff should be two metres apart where possible. No. How do, you, how do you negotiate that? But um, we were kind of thinking about what that means for our groups and how to, you know, run sessions um, responsibly. And um, we kind of uh, took that to mean, well, you know, if younger children are going to naturally gravitate towards each other, um, you know, we would not encourage that and set up activities that would invite them to become very mm. However, we're going to have to expect that they are going to be doing that. And if they do, then we're not going to be shouting at them to step away from each other. But also, there are going to be some children who are naturally more aware of what's going on in the news and perhaps a bit more anxious and a bit older, who are going to be watching these younger children in the same group, in this mixed age group, and watching these younger children and feeling anxious that they are, you know, together. Coming together, yeah. Yeah. Talk with those older children or those more aware children, those more anxious children, who are probably going to turn around to us and go, "Shouldn't we be stepping in? They're touching each other. Shouldn't we be doing something?" And how we engage in that dialogue in a in a way that is, um, you know, because you can't say, "Oh, don't worry about it," because <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, absolutely. But it, uh, at the same time, you want to sort of acknowledge the fear. But I think what we've done is put so much fear in people that it's we haven't embraced. We haven't got a relationship with this uh, virus. Mm. I was taught a lot, um, which probably has got bearing on, on just how we work with this. Um, I went to Namibia um, in March. I don't know you, well, and we had to come back early. Um, it was like a severance because we were with the sun, you know, the oldest indigenous group of people on the planet, still persistent hunting. Still not as nomadic as they used to be um, through um, need, really, because they have to put food on the plate and because all the animals have been sort of overhunted and all the rest of it. It's sort of interesting. But it was, we were out in this bubble in the middle of the Kalahari Desert in Namibia, really humbled by these people, really funny, very bright, fully aware of, you know, the 21st century, but also their lineage going back tens of thousands of years, right? Their hunting has not changed. Their foraging has not changed. 
and um, but they are faced with a far bigger pandemic than this pandemic, which is TB. Fifty percent of them have TB. Forty percent of that fifty percent is going to die, right? But they have this relationship with TB, which is very different from our relationship with coronavirus. Completely different. It's just like they've embraced it. It's just a matter of life. It's just it's part of their life, even though in terms of being in their community, it's only been in their community for, I think, maximum of 60 or 70 years because it's been the European settlers or maybe 100 years who brought it over. But they've embraced it. And it's just like they've embraced anything that comes as part of their life and have a more positive attitude. It's just like they had a relationship with it that wasn't based on fear. Mm, that's interesting. Um, it sounds almost like um, kind really of Buddhist detachment of just, you know, like when people do mindfulness and they say, you just observe the thoughts coming coming by and that... Yeah, it's a bit like that, but it wasn't like Buddhist, it wasn't like a mindfulness thing. It was just part and parcel. oh, that's the way, you know, it's the way it is. It's sort of, we, and you have to get on with life. Well, that yeah, kind of leads into one of the things that I wrote down that I really wanted to ask you was, um, and, and it ties into both grief and trauma and challenging behaviour, um, which is that fine line that we all have to tread between dealing with something and dwelling on something. Mm. And I wondered if you had any experiences on, you know, how how do we... Like we say, those children who might be anxious when they see other children not social distancing or they might be um, their behavior might be out of their control um, at certain points in a session. And how do we acknowledge those things and acknowledge anxiety and acknowledge grief and trauma? But without because my 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 feeling always with, with um, a lot of books that will sort of advise on parenting and teaching and they'll say, uh, when a child is or a learner is dysregulated that's not the time to talk about it which I completely yeah. agree with and then they say when they're in a um a good place that's the time when you you have that conversation and what I've always felt is that well that to me is like um digging up an old wound because now you're in a good place and it's almost like going just let's just open that back up again let's dig into there you know um, yeah. So how do we have those conversations about grief and trauma and anxiety? I, I think it's really tricky, particularly as we're not trained therapists or counsellors, and we have to actually say we aren't therapists, we're not counsellors, we're not professionals. Um, you don't want to start opening things up that are going to lead to re-traumatising people mm. at all. Um, and I think sometimes it's... It's just being, it's us as leaders being opening, open to it and listening to them and watching them and thinking, oh, they're doing that. I might just go over and have a little chat. I'm not necessarily going to retry. I mean, it may be that, and it is about timing and it's about the right space, the right time. And it's not about in that you, when you think, oh, they're all calm and everything. Let's let us have a look at it now. It's not that at all. It's. And sometimes that right space and right time never comes. Fine, <laughs> just leave it. Um, 
but there is something and and they may be i mean as far as i'm concerned that this is the joy of being out of forest school they may well actually be acting things out through just what they're doing and they're expressing it not verbally but physically yeah. anyway in their play yeah and that's why play is therapeutic and it's it's coming out in some way because we don't want it to block up it's a bit like rebecca did, did you go to the um grief thing last week no, no i missed that one the grief webinar so there was one really powerful sentence that she was talking about she said um depression is bottled up grief that's what it is it all goes back to bottled up grief and we need to we all know when you grieve and let it out actually suddenly something releases um candice pert who's probably she was a real game changer in terms of all of this she was a neuroscientist and um she was um, a biochemist and she wrote an, a book which was a bit of a game changer in the early 80s called the molecules of emotion and it was her who really discovered that every molecule in our body has a receptor on it they, they have receptors grab onto other molecules and hormones and all the rest of it and if they're grabbing onto stuff that's if you like bad stuff suddenly if it stays in the body it gets blocked and this is where the unblocking comes and you have to unblock it some way and often bodily motion is a good way of unblocking it and but and we uh Rumi had a lovely quote um uh communication the best communication is without words words to that effect is without words we don't need to verbalize this because sometimes just doing something with the body can unblock it mm -hmm. and when you're outside and you've got this space and you've got this very uh, subliminal multi-sensory stuff coming in you're suddenly feeling a bit freer and just by playing out there and letting it out you don't need to dwell on it verbally mm -hmm. you can just and that's where I, I guess that's where a bit of training for us as leaders is good just to notice that and think and there may be some dialogue that's coming out there might be gobbledygook or it may be a, a scream or whatever and that's their way of letting of unblocking and letting go and we don't need to dwell on it i really like that so it's more about us kind of um you know as ever facilitating rather than driving something I'm just noticing i think exactly and just and, and you might say afterwards when they're doing all this you might want to say oh god that seemed really exciting or i'm feeling a bit I'm, I'm, how are you feeling at the moment then what's that and she said oh actually yeah it was great doing that digging that throwing that mud pie over there and letting out a scream <laughs> and that's enough and that's one of the things i think that separates I, I definitely uh one of the big divides i think between my experience of state teaching and my experience of forest school teaching and i don't think i did it at the start of my forest school journey but i i definitely do now is just verbalizing and being okay with sharing that i have a need and that that mm. is okay in the setting of a group because and it, and i sometimes Gemma and i do this thing where we uh will um what's the what's the word I guess I would call it like a it, it's genuine empathy but then you fake that it's your feeling so you can see that little Johnny over there needs to go for a run and but instead of saying Johnny I think you need to go for a run what you do is you clap your hands very loudly and you go do you know what guys I need to go for a run right now because I'm feeling really anxious and you just start running and it's 
easier that than needling in and going oh you you over there you you look like you're feeling this definitely and i i think that whole thing about mirroring is so important that's the word um, mirroring um it's really important in this um and particularly kids who've been through extreme trauma if you can try and mirror it show that you are empathizing and it's not the words um suddenly something happens it's back to this electromagnetic sort of resonance happening um so if you uh look at amy banks for example sorry i'm quoting a load of people but amy banks is i think another must read for most people she wrote wired connect and she's got these four four neural pathways um that we need to sort of embrace and try and encourage and it's summarized by the acronym um care there is a calm sort of neural pathway which is the which is the engagement of the vagal nerve this main nerve that goes all the way through our body if we can engage that what kicks in with that is the parasympathetic which is the calming nervous system. okay just by often our calming way of being that's it that's n- and then you need acceptance we need to just accept what's coming from them and if they can feel accepted for what they're doing if they can feel accepted for picking up a load of mud and chucking it and screaming and that's okay as a very small example good and then we need to resonate and empathize and that's when the mirror neurons if you like kick in and that's that's the mirror neurons is where our empathy and it feeds on itself and we've got mirror neurons in various parts of our brain um our empathic system can kick in um and then there's the energetic which is the sort of motivational uh, pathway which is which is about getting to what what is our passion and how can we support that passion and encouragement so if you can I'm just summarizing this paraphrase. In, if we can engage in all those neural pathways, and this is all, you know, this science, this is neuroscience, this is all the rest of it, but she's put it together in such a lovely way in terms of the way we connect as humans. Um, and what helps with all of that, if you think about the calm thing, the natural world being out in woods, we all we know about the calming uh, properties that has on people. And I'll never forget one little little lad, and it's often quoted back at me because it's on a YouTube somewhere about a little lad I was uh, working with who was from a single parent family, and he just flashed onto me and he took me over to his tree, and it was his bee tree. And that was that. And and the reason it was his bee tree is because the tree didn't judge him. He was only four, but that was more or less what he was saying in our little dialogue that we'd had together. So it was that acceptance thing. And the resonate thing is this, again, this electromagnetic thing that happens between us and particularly plants. We now know this property that plants and particularly trees has in terms of the phytochemicals that are put out and the science between that and all that Judy Dench stuff. Those that saw that Judy Dench <laughs> series where Judy took, it's basically the research from Peter Volber and the Hidden Life of Trees and all those people in Canada that have done all the research into this. Um, and plus the mycelium and what they're doing so that's the resonating bit and then the energetic bit is you just feel well i I just know ever since i was young going back to my mum where we started off from i just felt energized when i was out in the woods um and it's just and that's probably why i've ended up where i am 
because there was just so much to do in the woods and so many places to go and i just love working with wood um as well so that's the sort of energetic thing that motivational thing the natural world does it but we just need to do the same i think um, i find it doesn't I, need a lot of work when i get when i get into the woods i feel very energetic six hours later with 15 kids i am less <laughs> energetic <laughs> Oh, get that. I'm absolutely knackered at the end of the day. Totally. Yeah. And have to sleep. But it's a good knackered. That's when you then become calm and relax. That's when I reflect and we do whatever. Find out about CPD courses at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details. Um, it's occurred to me as we were just to, um, talking now that I, I think it's probably pertinent for people listening. And we, we kind of, we, I guess we're rambling around things that people yeah. might need to think about when we go back. Um, and it's occurred to me that one of the things that we talked about in an earlier podcast is probably very relevant now is, um, I think I'm right in saying it was in The Whole Brain Child. Um, and mm-hmm. they talk about finishing the narrative all the way through. And so the example in the story, in the in the book, Gemma, your room is it the whole brain child? Yes, um, I think it is. And are you talking about the the child who was in a car accident with his? Um, yeah. Child? Do you want to? Because I can I can just about remember it. But do you? And yeah, um, he was in a yeah a bad car accident with his childminder, which involved her. She was driving, and um, she was taken away in an ambulance. Um, and wasn't very well. And was was looked after in hospital and did get better. Um, but after that traumatic experience, I forget how old he was, but not very old, um, he was stuck in that place of trauma. He, he was just reliving the accident and very, very upset uh, for a long time. And the way that he was helped was to be encouraged to tell the story of what happened. And instead of stopping at the, and then she was really hurt and she, there was blood and she was taken away in the ambulance to continue, the rest of the story which was and then a few days later we went to visit her in hospital and she had stopped bleeding and the doctors were looking after her and then and now she's come home hasn't she and she's at home and we spoke to her on the phone and she was okay and she's at home and next week you're going to see her at her house and she's okay now and that our brain often gets stuck at that most trauma. And so it's when you get it's when you have the feeling again isn't it and your brain brings up the horrible bit of the memory you've got the you're almost signposted to the positive outcome i sometimes do it with my own son but we do it preemptively now so he he is just learning to use the pedals on a bike um so he is quite worried about it whenever we put the pedals on and he gets a bit kind of like oh i might fall off and i and i've started going okay and what will happen if you fall off well it will hurt my legs okay and what will happen when you hurt your legs Mm, you'll have to pick me up and and will that make it better yeah, I think that'll make it better. And th- so he can talk through this point to where he's going, well, actually, it's okay. And I think putting that on a grander scale, I think we will see a lot of children who are stuck in yeah. that and we weren't allowed outside. And you, we will have to encourage them through and to go, do you remember when we were allowed to exercise more? And then do you remember when we could see each other more? And do you remember that, you know, last week when they said we could... And um, bring it to the present. And now we are outside together. And okay, we're going to have to be careful about the way we interact, but we will get through. I think this is with this pandemic is it's to say we will get through this. We have to keep telling them it will. We will come through this. Um, 
look at the, the deaths are declining and all the rest of it and okay we've still got to look after ourselves so it doesn't go up again but we will come through it i think we have to give that hope and positive message all the time yeah. do you think we will be in a um because i would say forest school leaders that are situated in schools are quite often the um I don't want to say that oh, this sounds very grandiose, but if I say we quite often feel like we're the emotional mouthpiece for the student body in that we can go back to teaching more, more maybe more. Um, oh, I don't want to insult teachers. More, <laughs> people focus more on academics. Just insult the system. Insult the system. Yes. <laughs> Those that might be more focused on academics, that, that forest yes. school leaders are the ones that can go back and go. There is a lot of feeling of X in your in the group at the moment. There's a lot of feeling of Y. And do you think that we will have to be particularly understanding about challenging behaviour that's coming out when we go back? And yes. that we will almost need to stand up for the children and going, you know, they're going to need time to adjust. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think <clears throat> in many ways this could be Forest School's golden moment. Fingers crossed. Um, Fingers crossed, yeah, absolutely. Just fingers crossed. But again, without hope, well, we're stuffed, aren't we? It's I've always had that sort of glass half, half full thing. Um, and I think I don't know. I just I have a feeling that teachers do will recognise that getting outside and doing something like forest school that is a therapeutic space and doing it this regularly and it's got to be regular because uh, even though it's only been a few months that we've been inside it only takes it doesn't take much for this trauma to get in you know it's quite a significant thing it is well we've all said it's society's been saying this is one of the most significant things that's happened since the war well it is the most significant thing that's happened so um it is going to take time to work through and it just, uh, for me, it shone a light on that old phrase, it takes seven generations for a trauma to work through. Um, which is, you see that in a lot of traditional cultures, it's going to take us seven generations to work through this. Uh, and we forget, and I think our leaders forget at their peril, that this is really significant and it's going to take time to work through this. And because of the forest schools set up perfectly for it, because we are about this long-term regular thing, particularly when it comes to building those, rebuilding those emotional attachments to both. I'm sure many of them, it's probably, yeah, it's only going to be the privileged white middle class, probably, who've got access to gardens or local green spaces that have utilised that during this. So it's going to take time to rebuild all that and um, get it going. So I think we as forest school leaders and the forest school movement, forest school association, have really got a thing from the rooftops about how important this is to support other teachers, as you said, to help kids work through this. Because if we don't, we all know, and this is where I guess that system's wrong. We know if that emotional brain, that limbic system is not working properly, we're not going to get up here to achieve these damn outcomes that we've yeah. all got to achieve. And it's probably worth making the, the, the case now that when we're talking about um, challenging behaviour and behaviour being different when we go back, that we're not exclusively 
talking here because I think my at least for me the go-to when I hear that phrase is my experience of having mm. chairs thrown at me or my you know displays ripped off the wall but equally it can present as yeah. low engagement or in in things like that and so that we're not just going who's making the most noise because I'll look at them it's any anyone making a difference absolutely and it is that anxiety to. um that's that's often manifested it in this oh I'm going to shut down just that freeze a faint type reaction um and then knowing that actually we've gone into this sympathetic mode to look after our body <laughs> and the only way we're going to do that is by engaging the vagal nerve, nervous system throwing mud at each, each other. other all of that the stuff that we've talked about um i still think we've got a long way to go in teacher tra training and i'm not getting at teachers but in terms You've probably had it with forest school training. We used to get, um, used to get, and it's heyday. Worcester University used to send us um, about eight or nine students to do the forest school training, and they'd always say, "I don't know why we don't get this brain body stuff at, at college." And, and we ended up actually working with particularly primary science personally at Worcester University, and it's quite a well-known teach training institution and. Just because I don't know, we they just felt we had a bit more of a handle on the whole neurobiology stuff. Um, teachers don't don't get that, and benefit, you should, we have to sort of show them that actually that, <laughs> that, that we really need to work with teacher training institutions on all of this, um, the importance of it in the longer term, and you just you just hope that this might jolt them into something. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, that would be really interesting, won't it? Because um, uh, there are several kind of factors in this whole going back to school thing, which means that the focus from academic outcomes is going to have to change, partly because all children are back um, of all ages, you know, so you can't kind of rely upon um, that kind of benchmark and measurement of teachers and the system in terms of, well, how many, what percentage of students have you made reach this yeah pre-agreed outcome well, you can't look at anymore because half of them aren't here you know through either parental choice or space in the school or whatever so that's in the bin now so what are you going to replace that with you know and there is so much now about um it's going to be about um yeah play and relationship building and and that kind of thing. um so yeah it'll be really interesting to see which way that goes but then you also see all these like really uh, terrifying pictures of desks with tape on the ground um, all of that kind of measured out space and then you think oh okay well that doesn't really encourage the kind of you know playful um, and that that kind of links to what we were talked about in last week's podcast when we were talking to um I think it was Michael James was saying that um when children with additional needs when everything they go and do is a um a therapy or a um an intervention then the message being reinforced that, you're broken. Is that yeah. you are broken and, and that anything anything you enjoy and equally I, I think there are probably ways and this is probably something that all us uh, all of us who are practitioners should be considering is how do we because we're good at it anyway in in putting in um subconscious cues you know you you lay logs on the floor in a, in a line so that you don't have to say that's a fence and you don't go over it. You just, you just make little cues. Um, and I think what a lot of schools are doing is 
I feel like we're in danger of going overboard on the, I'm using air quotes here to say the safety yeah. theatre. You know, the tape all has to be yellow and black. And so, and the signage has to be everywhere and visible because because the fear of this thing is is in yeah. some ways worse than, than getting it. Um, so I think when we're thinking about how do we make our forest school sessions safe, we should be thinking how much of this can I put into the background yeah. so that the children don't have to worry about it. I want to, we, sometimes Gemma and I talk about mental load and um, that you can, you know, that it's not something you can necessarily take off someone, you know, if, you can't take it away. But if you can set up your environment or set up the way that you're going to run something so that you're not putting onto the children a constant like, oh, and you have to think about looking after yourself and you have to think about this. And you, you know, you just want to be able to go, I want you to get, because not all of that is going to be a, a, um, a barrier to fly yeah. and a barrier to well, We have got, it's called semiotics, all that, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That would have saved me some time. So the semiotics of the way the government has dealt with the pandemic is completely wrong. It is. Just the yellow and black that they have used, for example, that's, that, that's called it. I mean, it's, it's, it's the messages that are put into our environment that we subliminally receive. Um, so and the semiotics is, is that, that there's a whole field of um, psychology around that. Um, and you tie that into behaviour that we're already expecting to be challenging, and you are heaping shit you are, on top and of they shit, should know you? about this really? because I, you know, the the greatest fear is the fear of fear itself. Yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen? There's um. So a part of the um government guidance about reopening schools, as I was wading through it, and then yet another one was released. You know. Sunday night of a bank holiday weekend you're like okay this is a great time you know for early years settings the latest guidance was updated and you know a week literally seven days before they're supposed to open it's like okay great and uh, and then there was a little sentence in there about um this particular organization has designed us some posters which are really great and should be displayed around the settings and we recommend that they are suitable for early years up to teenagers so I clicked on oh. And the first and only one I looked at has the words horrible oh hands God. in huge. <laughs> and basically says your hands are filthy and disgusting and should be and you should be afraid of them. And then it has a lot, it's covered it's in really tiny writing. With lots of... Do they know nothing about positive yeah, language? Or... Horrible what? hands. And I was like, oh my God. I'm going to show you the, the thing, John. Yeah, I used quite a lot of swear words, didn't I, Lewis? It's, it's not going to swear. It's, this is a podcast. Is, what, oh. Have you heard us? We swear. All right, then. You oh, go for it. Fill your fucking boots. I just, yeah, I, there's no way we're displaying that. I mean, it's just the most... That's appalling. I just, I don't know who's advising the government. Uh, Did you see that um, when they shifted to, away from, say, the NHS to the new slogans? Um, it was a really good podcast from uh, a really well-known psychologist who works with marketeers saying they've got this all wrong. Um, and that just seems to have permeated, and obviously has done, and permeated through to this. That's terrible. But surely they know that fear yeah. is, fear of fear is the greatest fear of all, and um, you just traumatise people. That's, that's what, if you... 
But that's okay. That's why Forest School exists. <laughs> We're going to be the... the la- Just before we all get done for treason, um, <laughs> I think that is uh, a good place. Is there anything else, John, that you think people who might be going back and might be worried about and, and kind of having their head this idea of grief and trauma that you think oh I, I just want to make sure um, they know about that I think I mean I think the main thing is how we well I mean we've already touched on this but for me the main thing is how do we model this and how do we deal with it ourselves because we are the greatest influence um, children know far more from how you are and what you do than what you say um, much yeah. more and it is the way we present ourselves and embrace them uh, but at the same time being quite firm in our backbone in terms of actually this is what we're going to do to keep ourselves safe because we are in a pandemic and we will get through it if we do this but we can all sort of loosen up a little bit and I don't I think that's probably my biggest message will be just you need to just look into yourselves and how you deal with this and knowing that you've got to embrace this thing because it's hit us and I think we are going to get more pandemics in the future. We don't, I've just been listening. There's a new book coming out recently about the number of pandemics that have happened over the last oh, Jesus, years. John, that's not no, there. but Jeez. what I'm talking about is it's building a new relationship with it and that we will get through it. We'll get through these. We've, we've got through pandemics in the past. We've had, we've, we have had in our society, if we look at it, in the last 100 years, we've had more pandemics than society has had in the past. Sometimes there have been quite big pandemics in the past, but they still have happened. Ebola, SARS, bird, bird flu, all of that. And we've got through them, right? But I think we will get through them even more. Well, this is an opportunity to get through this one really positively if we can embrace it a little bit more and look into ourselves and have that element of hope, which is what Forest School has got, and to say, look, we, we, we will get through this. It is an issue and I have problems with this, but we're going to work with this and it'll be fine. And we are going to be um, as open as we can, um, but we're not going to scare you shitless. <laughs> That's the point. We're not going to mm. be scared shitless, even though we have been scared shitless by the whole me- all the messages that are zeitgeist is that's out there which is quite understandable but i just don't think the government i think the government's colluded with this virus myself rather than actually um doing something about it i was speaking to somebody from south korea because we went over and did some forest school stuff years ago there when they want to get something done south korea does it it's called bali bali so this is yeah we'll finish with bali bali um so they sort of heard about, and they've got a forest culture over there. Seventy percent of the wood of the of the country is forested still, even though they've got this big, great yeah. thing in the middle called Seoul. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's called Seoul for a reason. Um, so, um, and it was just fascinating uh, watching how forest kindergartens have grown and formerly from none within five. Five years, 80% of their forest kindergartens were going outside and much, much more, right? And the same has happened with this pandemic. And it's partly, and I was talking to Yuan, who's, she's one of the, she's the, one of the key people in the forest kindergarten movement over there. And we're just emailing each other about how are you getting on with the pandemic? And she said, oh, we're all right. We've embraced it. And it's, and everybody's taken the right precautions. And we're, I think we're through it, which they did. They have, of all the countries, developed countries, it's South Korea that's got through this. Um, 
And it was just that word, we've embraced it, that really hit me home. And it's, it was a bit like the Sam Bushman in the Kalahari. They have embraced TB and are learning to live with it. And it's not going away for them. Whereas because South Korea have embraced it and they've really gone for it, they're coming through it. And I think it's the same with us. We need to just embrace it and build a different relationship with it and say, it's okay, we're going to get through this um, and not scare the shit out of everybody. <laughs> um, there you go, that's the end. <laughs> well, thank you for talking to us. Is John. that okay? <laughs> You've made me feel better about right. it, even if no one else. Definitely. Well, I, I, feel, I feel like that was then. very... Um, <laughs> timing to um to do this podcast i feel like there'll be a lot of people listening who are thinking about how to reopen and what that's going to look like and yeah. feeling the fear you know yeah. and, uh, whatever but uh, we and need to acknowledge the fear but don't chatting. feed the fear i just think yeah you can feel it but don't yeah. try not to feed it it's just... don't hug a tree yeah. okay <laughs> thank you if you like this podcast and want to support more episodes you can donate through patreon visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the forest school podcast